Welcome to Building a Greener Idaho, your source for insightful conversations with diverse voices at the intersection of people, profit, and planet. Thank you for tuning in today to Building a Greener Idaho. Today is our recap show of the Idaho Climate Summit safeguarding Idaho's economy in a changing climate, which took place recently in November at different venues across Idaho, brought together thought leaders from industry, higher education, government, the nonprofit world, environmental groups, and passionate citizens. Start with a conversation with Julia Grant from Micron, who is their sustainability leader there at the company um, and hosted a panel about innovative business opportunities around climate change. And then I go into a conversation with Mr. David Eichberg from Hewlett Packard, um, leading sustainability initiatives across their global portfolio. And followed by a conversation with keynote speaker, Kate Gordon. Kate gave a great and thoughtful introduction to some macro economics and trends that we're seeing as a result of climate change and opportunities um, in response to those dynamics. And that followed by a conversation with Amy Christensen of the Sun Valley Institute for Resilience. So I hope you enjoy this recap show. You'll also be able to find it on our blog after it airs. So thank you for tuning in to Building a Green Idaho. My first guest is Julia Grant, the Sustainability Program Manager at Micron Technology. She has led innovative business and community impact initiatives for the past 18 years. Her experiences span policy creation, corporate sustainability efforts, landscape conservation projects, ecological restoration, strategic plan development, grant writing, land use planning, and environmental education programs. She and her family have been in Boise for 16 years. Welcome to the show, Julia. Thank you for taking the time to, to talk with us about your panel that you had at the Idaho Climate Summit recently. It was titled Innovative Solutions for Idaho's Industrial Leaders. So thanks for being with us. You are welcome. My pleasure. So you had four of Idaho's largest industrial players on the panel that you moderated, and your company, Micron, obviously one of them. I want to discuss your takeaways from that and you know, give people a little glimpse to what the Idaho Climate Summit was about. So first of all, let's talk about how that panel came together. You know, why, why were Micron, Simplot, HP, and Cliff Bar, why were those the ones that, that kind of made it onto this panel to have this conversation about industry and climate change? I think we... When we had discussions with the organizational group for the conference, we looked at those kind of companies that are that are leaders in the state because they employ a large amount of people. They bring a lot of economic vitality to the state of Idaho and went out and said, hey, would you be part of this discussion because we want to be here in Idaho for the long term and we need to start talking about the economy and the climate and the intersection of the two. So one of the things you let off with was this idea of an entrepreneur. What is an entrepreneur and why are they important to Idaho and how our industry moves forward? So a quick and easy definition for an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur who works inside a large organization. And these individuals, much as 
entrepreneurs tend to be tenacious, risk tolerant, adaptable, resourceful, and driven by results. And to be driven by results, you know, you've got to set these goals and want to reach these goals. And we need these entrepreneurs in Idaho's industrial companies because these are the people that are tomorrow's company leaders. Organizations often recognize, if you look at the company leaders, you know, across the world, they often recognize and promote successful entrepreneurs furthering their businesses' success and growth because we're always innovating and finding that next niche. And these individuals also tend to foster the development of other talented entrepreneurs in their organization and integrate processes then for the greater good of the organization and the communities in which they are cited. Yeah, it's fantastic because oftentimes we're so focused on the negative impacts of climate change. And a lot of what the conference focused on, including your panel, was the opportunities. So this entrepreneur idea is really, really a great one to take away. So as an entrepreneur at Micron, what are you working on to advance uh, within the company to lower your impact? So my role at Micron is to work directly to coordinate and to accelerate the efforts of our sustainability council. And that Sustainability Council is a group of senior leaders that represent supply chain, governance, products, our environmental initiatives, philanthropic, and labor from across the organization. And the intent of our Sustainability Council is to drive stakeholder value, so for stakeholders, external, internal stakeholders, enterprise-wide sustainability goals, and increased transparency about what, how we're doing business at Micron. And we are in the early stages. You know, Micron was just kicked off sustainability in 2016. And so we're in the early stages of this program at Micron, but we're committed to building and maintaining sustainable operations, products, and communities by focusing on risks and opportunities that are most important to our stakeholders and our business success. And climate, it's one of those issues that's both a risk and an opportunity. And so we're explore how we're going to address it. You had a great panel. What, what, what did you think were the two to three most valuable highlights that came out of the discussion that we had? So I would say, you know, it was pretty fascinating to have someone like Cliff Barr there who has it, has this long-term protection of the planet embedded in their business strategy and how their journey is very different from corporations that are corporations, not B Corps. So we're at different places in our journey, but we can, we're learning from each other. And even though we're not in the same business sectors, and those people on the panel are people that I will continue to stay in touch with as we try to crack various sustainability nuts at Micron, and I'm doing that with other corporations, other sustainability professionals in other large global corporations across the country and the world. Another aspect on that panel is talking about your supply chain. And that's something, you know, people think about just the company itself, but the ripple effects into your supply chain when you are able to uh, require 
your suppliers or educate your suppliers about a climate goal or an energy goal or a water goal or any kind of sustainability-related goal, labor practices, that just can have a tremendous impact way beyond Idaho. So fantastic to have a, a summit bringing people together, sharing these ideas. Climate really does unite folks. And to have those leading companies together with professors, researchers, educators, uh, local passionate advocates, all of those mixed in one room, I think was a, a fantastic and important conversation to be having. Uh, you did a great job. Thank you for, for hosting that panel. And thanks for sharing kind of the highlights uh, for those who weren't able to make the Idaho Climate Summit, who I'm sure will try to make it next year. In regards to the discussion and the conversation, I think that, you know, this was an open public conversation that included different parts of the state. I thought that was a really promising aspect of this conference versus everybody needs to be in Boise or everybody needs to be in Idaho Falls. Uh, and the network of people that were there, that's how we're going to figure these things out, is the, with unlikely partners. And there were some unlikely partners who were in attendance at this and who were on panels. And I think they're going to be the answers to some of our challenges along the way. Well, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us today, Julia, and keep up the good work there at Micron. You're welcome. Thanks for including me, Charlie. My next guest is David Eichberg, Global Initiatives Lead for Sustainability and Social Innovation at HP Inc. David has over 15 years of experience in the corporate sustainability space. He oversees HP Sustainability Goals, Metrics, and Environmental Footprint Initiatives. Well, David, thank you for joining us on Building Greener Idaho uh, to talk about the thoughts you shared recently at the Idaho Climate Summit. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Charlie. Appreciate the opportunity. To start, I want to ask you, why does HP take climate change and the associated risks seriously? And what are those key aspects that you guys are working on to help mitigate you know, climate change risks? I think centrally, we take climate change seriously because it is really part of our company values and culture. We had set a corporate objective around global citizenship uh, 50 years ago. Um, and, and since then, that's extended into a number of areas of social and environmental responsibility. And climate action has been central to that for nearly 10 years in and of itself. It's also something, it's a challenge that we recognize is significant that the world is facing, uh, one of the most urgent issues today. And we feel the need to act is not only our responsibility, but it's vital to the longevity of our business, making it resilient and innovating to mitigate the impacts of climate change and be sure we can adapt um, in a global environment going forward. It's key to our customers and our investors. We are hearing more and more about their interest and in how uh, we're managing our operations and how we can help them be more sustainable or ensure the long-term viability of those investments. So the, the key aspects, we really drive this through a core set of carbon emission reduction goals across our value chain, that is across our operations, our supply chain, and our products and solutions, is that really encompasses the full scope of our impact and then the associated sets of initiatives um, and programs around achieving progress against those. So on the operations side, give us a quick example or two of, of some of the initiatives you have going to reduce the impact of your own footprint. I can give you one that's global and one that's local here to, here to Idaho. So overall, we want to make a, a shift to renewable energy. We've made a commitment to get to 100% use of renewable we have a goal of 40% by 2020, um, and we need to pursue that based upon local availability of renewable energy 
uh, options both off the grid or on site where we can uh, where we can make that cost effective. Um, here in Idaho, though, we're also looking at the connections between climate and other issues like water, where uh, with the help of a number of great partners, we have achieved at the Boise site um, a sustainable landscape project that's been certified by the Sites Initiative, actually the first in the state of Idaho and the first corporate campus worldwide under the, the Sites uh, version 2 criteria, which essentially now has helped us to cut our water consumption there drastically by about 30, 30 Olympic swimming pools per, uh, per year, for example. We've cut carbon emissions associated with that by 90%. We're improving biodiversity, um, and, we're, and we've cut our cost in half around landscaping as well. And really leading by example in that area of your real estate assets, so that's fantastic. Let's turn to the product side. Um, you're a technology company. You're, you basically have to innovate or you'll go out of business. So tell us a little bit about on the products and services side, where are you guys innovating and what does that mean to your business? Yeah, what's core for us across the portfolio is to reinvent how our products are designed and made and used and then recovered so we can shift towards both a low carbon and a more circular economy. That's really happening in a couple of key ways. One is moving away from uh, uh, um, purchase, pure product purchases to more transactional or as a service models, which really help generate customer value while cutting costs and waste and extending product lifespans. A second area on that is improving material reuse and recovery and closing those material loops through recycled content in our own products. And third, in solutions that are around uh, a digital shift from analog um, processes like digital commercial printing in publishing and packaging or 3D printing in manufacturing. And we believe those are really going to fundamentally change how industries today design and make and distribute their own products. You have thousands of partners, both locally and globally, across <clears throat> your supply chain. What, what kind of opportunities do you guys have to kind of shift their thinking and also help them minimize their impact and help solve the climate change issues that we're facing? Yeah, you're, you're right. We, we have a big opportunity in the supply chain. We ship over 100 PCs every minute and 60 printers every minute. And it, it's a significant part of the in, indirect impact we have. We have to work with our suppliers to, number one, make them understand this is important and central to the business relationship, making it part of how we evaluate those suppliers regularly alongside cost and quality in part of their their scorecarding and annual reviews. That's essential. We've taken steps to do that, and we've seen significant improvement in social and environmental scoring against the criteria we set with those with those suppliers each year. The second thing is we have to enable them to do that. In asking them to do improvement, we have to bring tools and resources, capacity building where, where they can really make inroads. And just quickly, in the energy efficiency space, for example, since 2010, we've worked with over 200 suppliers in China and Southeast Asia and helped them to save over $70 million nearly a million metric tons of CO2 and half a billion kilowatt hours. So there's real opportunity here to reduce impact and save money at the same time. HP is really being a leader in this area, and kudos to you and, and the work you're doing. As Julia, who who led the, the panel you were on, talked about entrepreneurs, you're definitely one of those. So thank you, David, for your time and sharing us a little bit of a, a snapshot of your approach to sustainability and climate change. Thanks, Charlie, and thanks for all you do, too. 
Time for a short break. We will be right back after a few messages. Welcome back to the show. Our next guest is Kate Gordon, the senior advisor at the Paulson Institute and the founder of the Risky Business Project. Kate is a nationally recognized expert on the intersection of clean energy and economic development. She serves as a senior advisor at the Paulson Institute, where she provides strategic support on issues related to climate change and sustainable economic growth. Welcome, Kate, and thanks for joining me. Your talk at the Idaho Climate Summit focused on the financial risk to businesses from climate change and how different sectors of our economy are assessing that risk and also finding opportunities and solutions. What has been the focus of your work in this area? So um, thank you, Charlie. It's great to be here. I have done work on the relationship between economic development and clean energy and more increasingly climate change for a long time. And specifically in the last few years, I helped create and then ran a project called the Risky Business Project, co-chaired by Mike Bloomberg and Hank Paulson and Tom Steyer, that really looks at the economic risks of climate change to the U.S. economy from two perspectives. One of those is physical risk, so what happens to companies, their supply chains, industries, sectors in different parts of the country when climate change impacts like extreme heat or sea level rise affect those places. And the other piece is what we call transition risk, which is really like what is the risk of companies not being ready for or taking advantage of the transition to a low carbon economy. Um, so my work has been on both of those uh, both of those sectors. You mentioned decarbonization in your talk at the Climate Summit. Can you just tell us a little bit about the three pillars of decarbonization? Yeah. Sure. So uh, decarbonization really refers to, um, you know, what is the process we have to go through in order to really deal with climate change? And obviously climate change is mostly caused by carbon in the atmosphere. We need to decarbonize in order to reverse those effects. Um, there's three big ways to do that. The first is electrification, so moving as many things from the fossil fuel sector toward the electric sector. sector is much easier to decarbonize than the fuel sector. Um, the second of those is essentially just using less uh, energy or electricity altogether. So you move toward electricity, but then you try to use, use that as efficiently as possible. And the third is using renewable energy as an input to that electricity as much as possible. I've actually uh, lately been adding a fourth because I think it's particularly important in the Northwest, and that's the um, importance of getting carbon out. Uh, so carbon removal, carbon sequestration, that whole bucket of activities, which really actually kind of actively removes carbon from the atmosphere. One of the phrases or takeaways that uh, I know you wanted people to leave with was basically what you just described. Use electricity, not too much, mostly renewables. It's by a nod to Michael Pollan, right? He has the famous uh, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. Right. So I would say use electricity, not too much, mostly renewable. I think it is. I think that, that is, it's very helpful for people to break this down into those fairly simple categories because it's, it's not easy to do, but it's easy to conceptualize, which I think is really important. And adding the carbon sequestration piece just doesn't, it doesn't roll off the tongue as easily. <laughs> it makes I it a little know, bit more complicated. It's, but it's actually really important, and I think we're going to see it becoming more and more important um, in the coming years as, it, as we realize the limits on uh, on carbon reduction. But you're right, it isn't, it isn't quite the same flow. <laughs> Given that agriculture is a big part of our economy, what are the risks and opportunities that you see for Idaho's agricultural sector here? So I, I think there's a lot. Um, agriculture is, is sort of both very affected by physical climate risk and a real potential part of the solution. So one thing you see across the U.S. Um, is especially extreme heat and then precipitation, sort of flooding and drought um, issues really affecting 
agriculture all over the U.S. I will say that Idaho is less affected, um, particularly by extreme heat, and that's actually a benefit for the state because uh, we're seeing agriculture move north as these extreme heat uh, impacts affect the southwest, the southeast in particular, and parts of California. There's a real opportunity for um, Idaho and the other states in the northwest to capitalize on pretty uh, cool weather in comparison to those southern parts of the country. So it's a, it's a potential risk, but also a potential opportunity. Agriculture also has an opportunity to be a place where carbon is um, is sequestered, or you can you can find agricultural practices that 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 keep carbon in the ground, um, and those practices are increasingly being um, valued by the markets that are being created for things like cap and trade in California. There's a set of offsets that you can you can you know um, sell your carbon sequestration or your ag products into in California and other states and other places that have carbon markets. So I think that we're going to increasingly see a value put on what's called negative emissions or carbon being kept in the ground. And that's something the agricultural sector has a huge opportunity in. One of the things you mentioned at your talk also was about the labor and the construction industry and yep. the impact there from climate and extreme extreme heat. Tell us a little bit about that dynamic and what that's doing across the, the country and, and to our economy on the macro scale. Construction is one of the most affected sectors. It's interesting on both the risk and the opportunity side by climate change. Uh, the thing I talked about that's one of the big risks people don't necessarily always think about is the risk to labor productivity from extreme heat. So in parts of the country where um, you're seeing months and months of days over 95 degrees, that's true in the Southwest in particular, we're already seeing labor productivity go way down in these outdoor industries. And construction is happening, for instance, on the highways um, at night now in many of those places because it's just too hot during the day. So labor productivity uh, in construction is, will definitely be affected. Again, Idaho is less hot than some of these other states, so that's good news, but you still have an impact in Idaho. But the, the other interesting things about construction, you know, as we see more natural disasters, the construction industry will be constrained because they'll be having to respond to things all over the country. And we already have seen what happens with construction costs when we have a natural disaster like Katrina or Harvey and all these materials end up in one part of the country. It raises costs in other parts of the country. And I think that's something the industry is going to have to pay more and more attention to. Um, on the opportunity side, I talked about this a bit at the talk. I'm really excited about the idea of new construction materials that can be lower carbon and replace some of the high carbon materials like steel and cement. So Idaho, I think, is a real competitive advantage in something like cross-laminated timber, which could mm -hmm. become a very, very um, important building material as countries and states all over the world start to decarbonize and look for alternative materials. It's fascinating to think about these macro trends that we're seeing, uh, climate risks and impacts, and also the opportunity side. I think we talk a lot about uh, the gloom and doom, but there really are these huge business opportunities to take advantage of and, and right here in the GEM state. So thank you for sharing your thoughts with us at the Climate Summit and as a recap here on Building a Greener Idaho, Kate. Absolutely. I'm happy to talk, Charlie. Thanks. Well, with me now, I have Amy Christensen with the Sun Valley Institute for Resilience and Christensen Global. Thanks for joining me on the show, Amy. You're welcome. It's great to be here, Charlie. Thank you. You've made a career out of working with companies and governments on climate solutions and resilience. And 
Recently, you came and shared your expertise at the Idaho Climate Summit in Boise. And I would just want to ask you to start, how does climate change and the related impacts to our environment and economy here in Idaho, how does it create opportunities for new and existing businesses? Climate change, you know, it's funny, when I worked at Google, um, Larry Page gave a keynote address. Larry Page, one of the co-founders of Google, gave a keynote address to the American Academy for Advancement of Sciences. Um, And he talked about how we have an amazing set of problems, which really means we have an amazing set of opportunities. And I feel like that's what we have when it comes to climate change in Idaho. Climate change is a huge risk to Idaho. Um, The uh, Climate Central is an organization out of Princeton, and they looked at state by state our climate risks, and Idaho got a D-plus in their rating because we face some really big risks coming forward as far as heat, um, but also drought. And, but it was also because we hadn't really prepared for it. So Idaho has not addressed our climate risks as much as we need to and being living in the center of the state where we've had two massive fires over the last 10 years or so has really awakened certainly my eyes to what the risks are facing our state. Um, and yet we're continuing to do things as we used to. And so when I look at the solutions to climate change, I just want to make sure that Idaho gets to take advantage of that. So we both have a risk that for climate change drought fire and we have outdated water laws and we're growing products like alfalfa that use a lot of water um and and we're coming into a time where we're gonna have more and more drought so how do we get ahead of those and transition our crops this is a real opportunity for innovation in agriculture which idaho has been great at in the past we have some great innovators in this state so real opportunities in the agricultural sector to innovate innovate in our water use innovate what we're growing and how we're growing it um and thereby uh, save money, create more jobs, and jobs that really last for the long term and in a time of climate change. Um, but then uh, there's the whole fact that the world is now shifting to this low-carbon economy, to renewable energy. Um, will Idaho get a piece of that? That's what I worry about. It's Idaho right now. We have laws that really constrain our ability to develop large-scale renewable energy, and we have massive wind and solar potential in our state. Only 10% less in Texas when it comes to the sunshine that we have here, and but our laws limit our ability to develop and sell those resources. I, I look at the risks of the impacts, but also I look at these. All right, the risks that we're going to miss out on these opportunities that the world is turning to solve this problem. We haven't uh, attracted the innovation that I think that we really have the potential to bring to our state and to home grow here in Idaho. Tell me a little bit about the work you're doing at the policy level, uh, both locally and at the state level. I know you work globally as well, but let's focus on Idaho for a bit. Well, Idaho, um, so we've been, we founded the Sun Valley Institute for Resilience because in our area we thought, wow, this is a real opportunity to turn these risks and opportunities. Let's um, localize our energy system. Let's uh, create more solar power um, and let's grow more local food rather than exporting all of our food. Let's grow locally. Um, and that way we can have more to our economy than just the wonderful recreation and tourism that we have up there and that the state has. But let's do, let's create more food jobs, quality around food jobs, quality around energy jobs. And what we've seen is by working with our local policymakers at the county and city level, as well as with residents and business owners, that we've been able to start to create a real market for renewable energy at that smaller local scale for homes and businesses. So back in uh, 2016, we did Solarized Blaine, which was the first solarized program in the state. And we got the city of Sun Valley, city of Ketchum, city of Haley, 
uh, the county, they all really work to improve their permitting rules to allow people to put solar on their home or business at more quickly and a lower cost. Um, and we ran this program to educate and engage the public and work with our local installers. And now we had solar companies merge. We had one get acquired by a big national company, and they cannot keep up with the demand in our market. So this is a real job creator. So what we've been working to do at that local level, um, which I really see as a model potentially for our, our state, is shift our policy incentives, um, engage residents and businesses, work with banks like D11s who've been helping to finance these solar systems using an Idaho state loan program, there's Idaho Energy Loan Program, and, um, and begin to diversify our economies and strengthen our economies, create better and more jobs, and that can help our state across the board. So yeah, it's a solution of climate change, localizing our energy system and turning to renewable energy, but it also um, is an economic strategy, which I think Idaho has real potential for. So let's touch real quickly on the conversations at the state policy level. What kind of conversations and reception are you getting for, mm -hmm. for some of these ideas on the state level? At the state level, what, what I think is exciting is that we have state legislators who really care about these issues and care about Idaho's economy. And if we can look at this as about Idaho's future economic growth, where the job's going to come from, and uh, that are quality jobs and that pay well and that are reliable and that um, really set us apart as a place where people want to come and locate. Um, when Idaho leads on uh, climate solutions, you know, that's a sector that's just growing globally, and more and more people are going to be look to, looking to innovate and work and deploy these solutions in places that are welcoming them. And so what I'm excited about is working with Idaho state legislators and our Idaho executive to make Idaho a friendlier place that's excited about attracting innovation in these solutions in, in energy, in food, in forestry, um, where Idaho can be a real model. I loved that about the summit and, and the work that you do focusing on those economic opportunities that we have to really innovate and help solve these issues while creating jobs locally. Thank you for your time. I know people can go learn more about Sun Valley Institute on the web. Yeah, yeah thank you, Charlie. Really appreciate the opportunity, and I was so galvanized by the Idaho Climate Summit. Thanks for tuning in to Building a Greener Idaho. Keep the conversation going on social media and at buildingagreeneridaho.org. And join us Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Thanks for listening.